have a Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Titus. Um, we won't stay um, in Titus the entire time, but uh, there's a section that I do want to read in Titus as we look at and we think about, um, we've been talking a lot about cults and about different, uh, different cult uh, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, been talking a lot about cults, but tonight I want to just spend some time actually helping us think about and how to, uh, what a cult is, but then also uh, how to identify a cult biblically, because there's biblical guidelines, of course, that, that help us to correctly identify a, a, a cult, because there's a lot of times that, that these words will be used interchangeable, but we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But uh, Titus chapter 1, um, verses 10 through 16. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And um, I will ask, if you're physically able to do so, if you would stand one more time, uh, because we don't want to honor God's word. We want to make, uh, make sure that we're honoring God's word, and so we stand for God's word. First, uh, Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, this is the word of the Lord given to you and I tonight. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert or literally overthrow whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre or for dishonest gain's sake. One of them, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and the King James says, slow bellies or lazy gluttons. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables or myths and commandments of men that turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in, their work, but in works they deny him being abominable, or that's detestable, and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate or worthless. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, we pray that this would be a time in which the church, uh, we are edified and encouraged in looking at um, um, the importance of being able to, to exercise discernment and to be able to know the the truth of, uh, of God versus uh, those who twist and pervert that truth. And so, God, may you help us, may you guide us, may you direct us now in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I think it's pretty clear that none of us, not a single one of us, like to be lied to. I think most of us hate being lied to. I think, I think we can general, and I, th I think that's true as a general rule across the population of the world, not just even our culture, but across the world. I don't think there's a single soul in, in the world that likes being lied to. As a matter of fact, uh, <clears throat> despite everything else uh, and despite what, what we may be told, it's still not socially acceptable and it still is potentially harmful for you to lie about certain things. And, and it's amazing because some people uh, tend to think of themselves more as a uh, more astute at being able to determine whether or not someone is lying. Um, that they, 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 they think that they're smart enough and they won't be duped and they don't have any worries. But the problem with that is, is that as you have, uh, you know, if you if you do the research, I think the research bears out that we as people, as human beings, we can very much easily be duped 
we can easily be deceived and tricked. Um, I think current research would clearly on the topic shows that there that that people as we as people we we either um, like to not think of ourselves like that, uh, like we're able to be tricked, or we like to we like to boast about we we can know if someone is lying to us. Um, Matter of fact, people will talk often about uh, nonverbal cues, right? You, you even have uh, FBI that talk about the nonverbal cues and, and, and other uh, uh, police agencies that talk about nonverbal cues to, uh, to be able to tell if someone is lying or not. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but there's 102 nonverbal cues that have been alleged um, that, that actually say that, that if you follow this, this will expose a liar. Um, but the problem with that is that despite this, Numerous studies, clinical studies, have found that people, even knowing these 102 possible nonverbal cues, the best, the best of the best of the best, the best of the best of the best, can only pick apart false statements from true statements with about a 54% accuracy just slightly above chance. Experts with the FBI and other police agencies would, would, would fare, would, don't fare much better. And it's interesting that despite all of this, we tend to still pride ourselves in being able to catch liars. And maybe we can and maybe we can't. And it's just a, it's just a, a truth of, of the reality in which we find ourselves and saying that, I don't say that to say, you know, well, um, you know, we should, we should put in practice in trying to find out liars. That's not the point. The point is, is that even the best of us can be deceived by those who claim the name of Christ. If we're not careful, if we're not discerning, if we're not on guard, right, we can find ourselves as individuals, uh, as, as, as a church, local church, or even as a society among those who, who are in danger of running into all kinds of problems with religious cults. Uh, let me give you a few, let me give you a couple um, uh, dangers to both the society and individuals that cults over the years have uh, possibly, that, that, that range in different risks um, because you, you have everything from the, the very mundane cults uh, to the very extreme cults. And so we want to deal with those that are not on the just the, just the silly run-of-the-mill kind of cults that really don't have any harm or don't cause harm to anybody. We'll focus more on the more dangerous cults. <clears throat> First, the one thing that a religious cult does is it loves to manipulate and exploit what I mean by that is that cult leaders often use their authority in a given situation or among their followers to try to prey on their vulnerabilities. And this is true whether, the, whether we are talking about um, within a culture, within a society, or within a local church, or within some other, within some other setting. Uh, people who are good at manipulating and exploiting other people, they love to do this. They love to manipulate as much as they can. Even, even, even knowing that they're caught, they will still seek to manipulate and to exploit. They will still seek to not let go of their, that personal, uh, they, they want you to follow them down this, this road. Typically, these cults too within a society can lead, or even individuals, can lead to isolation. 
because most members of religious cults are very often isolated. They're isolated from their families. They become isolated from their friends. They become, they become isolated from their wider communities. And this separation begins to foster a mindset of, of not just an us versus them, but a, a, a more radical ideology that can lead to some dangerous places um, to the building of even things like bunkers and hoarding all kinds of, of, of things that, that are not good into an Armageddon type of a mentality. And it can lead to severe and, and quite uh, rigid uh, placing of the faith in, in one person or an organization versus those who would, <clears throat> those who would, uh, um, who would seek to help us uh, think through things logically and, and think through um, issues that are uh, that biblically. I think a third reality is that we look at these cults is that there is, more often than not, a lot of financial exploitation. And this is true whether we're talking about uh, um, those who, who have defrauded people of millions legally or illegally. There's emotional abuse that often happens in these cults. Per, that is, there's a pervasive environment within a religious cult that often leads to emotional and even spiritual abuse. Abuse that says that things like, we will humiliate you, we will publicly shame you, we will ostracize you to maintain, maintain control over you and your family and to suppress your dissent. There's physical abuse at times. Physical abuse can come in from everything, from a push, a shove, um, all the way up to uh, worse, even worse physical kinds of abuse, deprivation of sleep and, and, and things like that. There are great mental health impacts to individuals and churches and even to societies who fall into these things. Things like mental health issues, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and other types of psychological disorders that can, in fact, find themselves expressing themselves in the midst of this. We find within these, these cults a loss of identity that is that it's not the individual person, but rather it's you live to serve our movement. We have impact on children in their formative years, dangerous actions or teachings, things like, <clears throat> things like it, is, it is cannibalism to get a blood transfusion and then you die because you refuse to get a blood transfusion. Or it's wrong to seek medical help. Or it's wrong to, and then you name it there, can lead to all kinds of issues. And even a disruption into society Religious cults can contribute to all kinds of social unrest, can, can contribute to all kinds of, of dis disruptions, of all kinds of things. And so, you know, we can think of cults like uh, Jamestown or Jonestown and, or, or uh, any number of those cults that throughout the years have led to, to great unrest. But as we think through this, we, we can't just say cults are bad just because of these things. Certainly this, these are wrong. But we need to see and understand what Scripture has to say about these religious cults. Because we know that from the very beginning we have been promised, even by the Lord Jesus himself, that there would come people who would, who, who would look like sheep but would not be sheep. Paul says to the, church, to the elders at Ephesus, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, right? They're, they're going to look like sheep. They're going to act like sheep for a while until they get your trust. And then they're going to become ravenous wolves that will seek to destroy you. 
Moses in the Old Testament and the, and the prophets themselves warned of false teachers, false prophets, false preachers of prosperity that would come and would, would bring disastrous, great and disastrous effects. We, saw, we see this throughout the nation of Israel. We see throughout the false teachers and the false prophets in the nation of Israel. They kept saying peace and safety and prosperity, but God kept saying, no, you need to repent. And if you don't repent, I'm going to judge you. And then as a result, he did judge them. But what do we mean when we say religious cults? What, what, what do we mean, right? Because I, I know that there's a lot of things. A lot of times people use cults, religions, sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S, and uh, uh, denominations sort of interchangeably. Well, let, let me give you some distinct characteristics. I mean, I've given you some, but let's just boil it all down. Um, Steve Hassan, I think, uh, does a great, he's a, he's a, I think he's a great, uh, I think a psychologist in this era, uh, um, uh, he's an he's a expert in this area, uh, he's not a psychologist, but he, he divided it down to an acronym called B-I-T-E, B-I-T-E, and then we're going to see what scripture says, B-I-T-E, bite, bite, cults, as a, and this is general, right, generally speaking, cults generally seek to control your behavior through their individual associations, their living arrangements, their food, their clothing, their sleeping habits, their finances, everything is strictly controlled in a cult. And dissent is not allowed. Now, we're not talking about having disagreements, and we're not talking about having biblical disagreements, whereby we, one person may think this, and another person may think that, and we come together. Maybe we initially clash, and we have a disagreement. Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about if you disagree, you are Satan, and they are going to do whatever they have to to get you out of this cult or to make you be, to make you become in, in line with their beliefs. I is information control. They control all the information that you, that you receive. They lie, they distort, they withhold, they propagandize things, and they even limit access to other sources of information. <laughs> I think this is beyond our cult, even beyond the cults, isn't it? There is thought control. Cult leaders use, often use loaded words or language. They discourage critical thinking. They bar any type of speech that is critical to their leaders or their policies. And they constantly are teaching an us-versus-them doctrine. And the last one I think is very interesting, which is emotional control. Leaders often manipulate their followers through fear. Fear of losing their salvation, fear of shunning, fear of guilt, fear of indoctrination, or fear of, of that they're being indoctrinated by the, by the outside world. So what is the difference between a cult and a denomination? Well, simply, a cult, um, a cult is a movement. It is a, a movement that is usually extreme in its ideology and that usually is centered around one charismatic person, one charismatic person. A religion, or denomination, rather, is, uh, is a subset of a, of a religion. A denomination is a subset of a religion that shares co- a common sets of beliefs and practices. So things like Baptists or Presbyterians or uh, Methodists are denominations. They're types of denominations. Mennonites, these are types of denominations. These are not cults. And so in general, when we speak of a cult, what we're talking about is a, is a tightly knit group that is led by a charismatic leader. The group's beliefs are often extreme and secretive, and members are often isolated from their families and friends. Religion is held as a power and a power move against them. And they are not free to practice, they are not free to practice anyway but the way that has been determined for them by that leader. 
So what does the Bible have to say about that? Because I mean, this is all great, right? All this is great, but what does the Bible have to say about protecting ourselves and exercising discernment when it comes to cults, right? Well, there is a biblical basis, I think, for identifying cults. And here in Titus, we do find, I think, a great way to identify um, identify some, uh, some ways that, that we can see and, and see through the, the thin veneer uh, and the veil of those who say, oh, no, we're not a cult. We're, we're Christians, but they're not. So what, it, what does it say here? Well, there are some characteristics here, I think, that, that emerge, right? Characteristics, by the way, that are grounded in other passages of Scripture. So, for instance, in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, Moses tells the nation of Israel that they are to test a prophet. And if a prophet's words do not come true, then they know that it's a false prophet and they aren't to follow them. And they're actually to be stoned if their words don't come true. But if they're a true prophet, then their words will come true. Jesus himself, again, this is grounded. Paul is grounding his teaching in, in, uh, in, in Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, 23 through 28 where Jesus himself warns about false Christs and false prophets that are going to arise in the world to even lead away, he says, if possible, even God's own people. Right? And so we need to be careful that we not allow ourselves to be caught up in, in, in these types of, of mindsets. John the Apostle would even go so far as to say that we need to test Everything, right? Everything needs to be tested. We can't just think uh, simply about, about everything. We have to think through and we have to do the heavy lifting of, of thinking, critical thinking. So we're not to just believe any and every test or any and every spirit and even that which claims to belong to Christ. But we must test all things. And here in Titus chapter 1, we see some characteristics of cults from from a biblical perspective and it's interesting that I think that it, it falls here in the midst of right after um, right after the the um, Paul is telling Titus okay so here is the characteristics of elders pastors among you right here is what elders are supposed to be and what they're what they're supposed to do um, and it's interesting that Paul, in the midst of immediately talking about their, their, their character, he then lists in verses 10 through 16 these, the, the, the anatomy, if you will, of a false teacher. Look with me here. He first says that these, these leaders who lead such, such of these types of, of, of false religious cults are those who are rebellious and yet and deceptive. Because notice here, Paul is writing to Titus in verse 10, and he says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers. That's empty talkers, right? Um, people who say a bunch of stuff, but they don't actually have anything to say. Right? He says that there are unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Right? So Paul is very clear to Titus. Titus, they can look like a, a, a believer. They can talk like a believer. But when brass tacks, when you get down to brass tacks, it's clear they're not a believer because instead of them following through with Scripture, what are they doing? They are, they are unruly. They are empty. They don't say anything. And they deceive people. And these love, these are usually part of the part of the uh, the religious folk and we say well what do you mean by that well in verse 10 what, what does he say here at the very end especially those of the circumcision who are those of the circumcision well it's the Jews it's the Jewish 
false leaders, the, those who are contradicting Christ uh, and contradicting the message of the gospel. And he says that they, they not only, they not only uh, are unruly, they're not only, that is that they, are, they refuse to be, and when he says unruly here, the idea is that they refuse to be tamed, right? They refuse their, their conscience and their, their words and their actions. They refuse to be tamed. They're like the wild man that Jesus uh, uh, met in the tombs, um, and, and he, he couldn't be bound with any chain. They're, they're wild in their, in their, in their ways. Uh, uh, they, they're, like a, uh, they're like a horse that has not been broken. They are absolutely unruly. They are untamed. They do not care about what the Word says. They don't care about what the Bible says. They don't care what God says about anything. They only know what they can get out of this. And so he says that they love to do this, but they, they even go so far as to distort the truth, right? That's what he says. He says they, they are deceivers. They love to, to lead people astray. They love to lead people out of the paths of righteousness and into their own wretched ways. Why is it that Satan loves, 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 loves uh, to uh, separate people, Christians, from, uh, from, from the rest of of, of of the local at a local church why why does he love to pull people away it's because they're easier targets when we pull away from from the lord's people and from the lord's church we we become easy targets that the wolves can easily devour and this is the type of people that paul is writing to titus and he says this if you want to know what their character really is they are unruly that is, they, they refuse to be tamed, they're wild, they don't have anything to say even though they claim that they have lots of things to say and they love to distort truth and deceive people. But he even goes even further because if you back up, as I said, what is it that Paul, or that Paul, both in Titus and in Timothy, Paul spends a great deal and an inordinate amount of time talking about? It is the character of genuine and biblical leaders. He talks about the genuine character of biblical leaders. So let's look at the character, let's look at the character of a biblical leader, and then we'll flip that around, and we'll see at what Paul's point is, why he then opens it up to the counter uh, and the revolutionary idea that these false teachers are going to be just the opposite. So if you look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, you will see that True biblical elders are men of 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 character. They're they're men of they're men of character who love the Lord, who love God's people, and they're not in it for themselves. They're not in it to win it for themselves. They they are they are men of God who love love God and love His people. That's why Paul says he lists. Uh, I think there's ten here. He lists. Um, yeah, ten. He says first of all, true men of God are going to be blameless. That is that they are, they're, they're, there's nothing, people can throw all kinds of junk against them, but in the end it's not going to stick, right? Because they, they've lived their lives in a way that is above board and that honors God. It doesn't mean that there can't be baseless false accusations, but they're blameless in the sense that there's, there's nothing that can be said about them rightly, um, and there's nothing that can be said about them, uh, and people can throw all the muck in the mire, but in the end of the day, their character is going to come shining through. The second thing he says is that they're men who are faithful, faithful in every, in every relationship that they have. Uh, here he talks about uh, faithful to their wives, that they are, they are, they are uh, one, 
women, men, right? This is the idea here both in Titus and in, Paul, uh, and in uh, Timothy that, the, that, men, that the men of God are going to be men who have eyes for their wives, who love their wives, and who honor their wives. He goes on and he says that their children will, uh, will, be, will behave um, to the best of their ability, which is why he says that, uh, that, well, some would say they must believe, but believe in, you can't force anyone to believe. So what is it that he's saying? Well, he's saying that uh, the children must, must be under the, 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 the father's rule and authority in the home. He goes on and he says that they must, these men must not be accused of being wild or disobedient, but they must be men of good character and have a reputation for being honorable and obedient to the word. He says they must be self-controlled. That is, that they must be able to control their emotions and their behaviors. They must be upright. That is, they must be honest and just. They must be holy, he says. That is, they must be set apart for God and live a holy life. They must be disciplined in all of their desires and their impulses. And they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as as it has been taught, he says. And then lastly, he says that they must encourage others by their sound doctrine, by refuting those who oppose sound doctrine, to continue in sound doctrine. And so an elder's place, a pastor's place is very clear to give, to sound the alarm and to make a call, a call to God's people and saying, this is false teaching. Be careful, be, be very careful when it is seen and showing why it is, right? So on the, on the flip side, what does that mean that these false teachers are? Where? Well, they are not blameless, Matter of fact, they live their lives to their utter shame. They're unfaithful in all of their relationships, whether it be to their wives, which is their most intimate relationship, or to other people. They do not care for their children or do not provide care for their children. They are not making sure their children are being disciplined in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and trained in that. They, they, they are wild and disobedient, as he says here, in verse uh, verse ten, he also says that they are the opposite insofar as they're, that uh, a biblical elder is self-controlled, but these exercise no control. Biblical elders are upright, but these false teachers and these these leaders are not honest. They're not just. They are not holy. They don't live a life for God, but for themselves. And isn't it amazing as you look and think about cults over the years? What is it consistently that they do? They first and foremost, we'll talk about this in just a minute, but they first and foremost attack the character of God, and by then terrorizing and, and, or attacking the character of God, they then slowly begin to disintegrate the basic building blocks that God has designed for a society and for the church, the family. And they begin indulging in all kinds of wickedness. They begin doing all kinds of wicked things. And these people, they not only have this unquestionable character, they, they actually encourage people to believe them, not Scripture. Right? It's funny because we live in a time when, when you hear the phrase almost constantly, hey, believe us, don't believe your eyes. Well, this is, this is what we are being told. We are being told by those who are cult leaders, don't believe, don't believe your eyes, believe us. And they, as a result, have an inability to handle God's word correctly. But he then goes on here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, But speak 
the things which become sound doctrine or that are fitting for sound doctrine or for sound teaching. Why? So this is what he's telling Titus to do. And to not only do that, but as the presbyter here in the island of Crete, to lay hands on men who will do the same. And he says, why? Why does he do this? Because ultimately, as you look through the book of Titus and as you look out throughout the Bible, here's what cult leaders love to do and cults love to do. They will, they will preach a different gospel under the heading of the gospel. They will use similar words to what we use. They will certainly know the words, things like Christ's death and burial and the blood of Christ and propitiation and sanctification and justification. And they'll use those words, but they'll twist them all sideways. There's usually either a great legalism or a license in their, in their lifestyles. Or even both. You will find followers living a life of great legalism while the leaders live a life of great license. All the while claiming that they are the MOG. If you don't know what that is, the man of God. The man of God. And then they, they talk about this, this deviation or they, they deviate from Christian essential Christian doctrines. And so, like I said, they attack the nature of God. They attack the Trinity. They attack salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They attack the authority and the inspiration and the, the, the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word. They constantly are attacking these things because they must usurp this teaching of Scripture to, in order to get you to follow their plan and their program. We see this being built over and over and over again throughout the different cults that you can read about, religious cults you can read about, both in this country and in other places around the world. They love to do this. So how, do, how is it then that, that we practice discernment? How do we do this? How do we, how, do we, how do we faithfully practice discernment as God's sons and God's daughters to make sure that we are careful well, first and foremost, I think this is, it goes without saying, but let me say this. In Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul offers this word, this teaching to Titus. He says, in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, or that is integrity, gravity, or dignity, sincerity, right? And then in verse 8, he says, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part, or that's, that's the opposite, may be ashamed, having nothing evil or no evil thing to say of you or about you. So in other words, how do we, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, first of all, we must evaluate all teaching and all movements of God over and against the teachings of Scripture. We must as we've already looked at in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, examine their leaders and the conduct of their leaders, those that they hold up. Is it all about the one person? Listen, here's the, if you want to know if something is of God or not, take the person that's in the middle of this movement, remove them out of that movement, and if it crumbles, there is great reason to say, hmm, maybe this isn't of God after all. There's a difference between someone being used by God in a powerful way and that movement becoming all about this person. And there's a difference, and we need to know that difference. God most certainly has used great men of God of old, right? Uh, great men of God like uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and, and uh, even men today like John MacArthur. These, these, are, these are, I believe, men of God. But at the same time, 
not, they are not building a kingdom or don't appear to have been building a kingdom for themselves. Whereas these cult leaders, it's all about them, all about what they can get. Their character is suspect. And their qualifications are anything but what the Bible says. So how is it that you and I safeguard ourselves against being deceived, right? Because it would be a shame for us to walk out here tonight and say, man, that's a lot of good information. But you know what? I don't think any of that applied to me because I can't be deceived. Well, we can most certainly be deceived. Even, even those of us, uh, and I won't tell you this story, but my wife and I have even been deceived by a cult. And so you need to know and understand that um, we as God's people need to know that it's important that we evaluate everything. As Paul says, by immersing ourselves in, the sound, in sound doctrine and in truth, we need to know that we need to live a godly and principled life that glorifies and honors him. Because he says in 2, 11 through 14, listen to what it says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, or that sensibly, right? Righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, that is, that is uh, wickedness, and purify to himself a peculiar, that's a special people, zealous for or of good works. So we need to live a godly and disciplined life for the glory of God. We must remain accountable to the local church and to the leaders that God has placed over us with the understanding that they're not God. The word has the final say. And if a leader, if a leader in a church can't back up what they're saying with the Bible and with Scripture, you might as well say to that leader, uh, no thank you, no thank you. A man of God who loves the word of God will always be able to say to you, listen, this is why we believe this, or this is why we do this, this is why we think this way, is because of this. So how, how would we conclude all of this? Just sort of, sort of closing all of this down and closing this out. Well, if you have a loved one, I don't know if you do, but if you, if you do have a loved one that is called in a cult, I would say this, pray for them. Pray for them. Prayer, I think, is one of the most effective and powerful tools that we have at our disposal, praying for those who are. And this is true whether or not they're called in a cult or they're just called in, in, in unbelief. So whether, whether they are called in a cult or called in, in, in unbelief and refusing to believe the gospel, we need to, we, we need to be in prayer for them. We need to pray that God would cause the scales of their eyes uh, to, to, or the, the scales to fall off, uh, fall from their eyes, and that God would set them free through the truth of His Word. Second, I think it is important that we that we build and maintain trust with our loved ones who are trapped in these in these unfortunate tr- these unfortunate places. They they need to know that we love them, and yet let me say this: that doesn't mean we water down the truth. So thirdly, I would say to us, we need to continue to search and to seek out questions, probing questions as to what they actually believe, but at the same time, not allowing ourselves to come up short from speaking truth to them and saying, hey, this is wrong and this is why. Fourthly, I think we need to know and understand that, that there are a cult. By, the reason a cult is so attractive is because cults are 
so good at doing all sorts of things, things like love bombing, things like as you're coming in, you will be the greatest, best thing since forget sliced bread, man. You're like, you're like the best thing since, since anything. They love to bomb you like that. They love to, they love to, to, to give you stuff and set you up and, you know, with the nicest and the best of things. And they love to do these things all the while hiding from you the more toxic parts of the group that, that, that they don't want you to be exposed to perhaps until later on when they can control what you think about these things. And we need to know and understand that there are lots of things happening, most of which, here is what happens. You feel isolated, you feel unwanted and unloved, and they find that weakness and they exploit that weakness so that they can then, so that even their victims can't even see how much mind control and manipulation they've been exposed to. But I would also say this. It is essential that you and I, as God's people, not only pre- continue to preach the gospel and love them and pray for them and, and, and continue to learn about what they actually believe as well as to refute what they believe, but I would say this, brothers and sisters, we need to also be willing to be there to support them so that when they come out of these areas and out of these places, they will have the support that's necessary because you have to remember a cult grabs hold of everything, your money, your time, your talents, everything, and they hold them hostage, and they will not let you go. And this is why when Jonestown started to destruct, what is it that happened? He had his followers forcefully or willingly deceived into drinking the Kool-Aid because he would rather die and kill his followers than to lose control. We must be careful. We must be careful. And we must be leery of anyone who says, follow me. We must hear our leaders say, follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us uh, as we've looked at the importance of, of identifying the marks and the characteristics of cults, religious cults, and the, the, the reality that's out there and what Scripture has told us and taught us that, that there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world, many false Christs, uh, many who have sought their own gain and their own um, their own. Uh, building up of a kingdom. God, we, we pray that you would help us to look to Christ and that we would not, we, we would be firm like the, like the disciples in Berea who tested all things and who, who looked to the scriptures to know whether or not these things were true. Help us to have that kind of a heart and that kind of a spirit here at First Baptist Church of Independence. Help us to continue to judge all things and test all things in accordance with the word of God. Let us be faithful to Christ and not becoming overly critical, but also not accepting anything and everything. Father, we pray that you would help us and guide us, direct us now. We pray for the sake of your glory and for the sake of the gospel that many, 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 many people would hear the truth of the word, that they would be saved out of their bondage to sin and to cults and to fear and to whatever else the case may be, that they may come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name.